back to back to back, baby. The Marlins going back to back to back. Home runs in the eighth inning, propelling them to a 5-1 victory over the Houston Astros. What a game. First time they've done that since the late 90s. It's been that long. The offense continues to hum. Braxton Garrett, is he starting to fatigue? Tanner Scott, boy, oh boy, he has been immense in that pen. And John Birdie. John Birdie, baby, is red hot. This is Locked on Marlins. You are Locked on Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England. Welcome to Locked on Marlins. This, of course, is your daily Marlins podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up at Miami Marlins underscore UK. Uh, thanks for making Locked on Marlins your first listen of the day. This, of course, is your team every day. There is a YouTube channel. Also, head on over to there. We're almost at 950 subscribers. We are trending for every home run that the Marlins hit. I expect at least 10 more subscribers. We should be up to like 2,000 real soon. Um, make sure you hit subscribe there too, guys. If you are watching, it is a Tuesday and unplanned, but the UK go back in the house. Sean Barrett, how are we doing, brother? Yeah, I'm doing good, Pete. Never mind. Never dislike a uh, talk with you about baseball, so uh, happy to jump on for the second time this week. Absolutely. This should be fun, mate, because, I mean, we've been blessed. We've been blessed with three wild games in a row, all for different reasons. We talked yesterday about Sandy Alcantara's complete game. We then talk about the wild walk-off win. Then you get the Astros rolling into town. We're all a little bit nervous about this. Are they going to be pummeled? Is the Astros' offense going to come alive? Can the Marlins keep them quiet? Can their offense do anything? Then we have a situation in the eighth inning where there are three home runs in a row. Sean, I'm, I mean, it, this hasn't happened for me as a Marlins fan at any point. I'm not sure I ever expected to see this, to be honest with you. It feels like for so long this offense has been built not around the home run. And, well, actually, no, it was, but it was flawed when the big boys couldn't go. Now, all of a sudden, we've got the right big boys in, and they are going. And this is seriously fun to watch, though, mate, right? Absolutely. You say the big boys, but obviously one of them was Luis Arias, who yeah, I know. famously... He's found the power stroke. <laughs> in the three-hole, mate. Luis Arias seems to have just come alive. He's he's found the power stroke in that spot, which is really interesting as well. But, yeah, sorry, I cut you off, yeah, but, you no, know, what fun to watch. The situation where, obviously, he's a contact hitter, and he's shown the ability to hit 9 on 400 for an extended period of time. And I hear a lot of people talking about Ichiro Suzuki, who did hit for a lot of power early in his time when he came over to America, but then became more of a contact hero as he aged. But he always spoke, and I'm sure Lewis Arias could as well, he could add a bit more power to that swing and take mm. a bit off that contact. And I think he could genuinely hit 20-25 home runs with a lesser batting average. But obviously he's shown the ability to hit 400, and I think that for the Marlins is something that's well worth keeping uh, hold of. Um, but for him to be in the middle of that, that back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, and as you said, it's been a while. It's 98, I think I've heard it, people talk about, and that's yeah. way before my time. So that really is a long time ago. 
Yeah, there you go. That's how long it is. And, and to your point, like, you know, the Soler situation, definitely not a surprise. Soler just having a stunning season. Josh Bell, not a surprise based on what he's been doing, but for Luis Arias to kind of be in sandwiched in there. And also, but what you're seeing with Luis Arias is there's a hot zone for him where he can absolutely turn on one if he wants to, not if he wants to, but he can. If the ball is in that spot, he has the ability, like it's up and in and actually in off the plate. All of a sudden he has the kind of ability to talk that one and really get it. They often go like, Close to the foul, like they're foul pole scrapers, you know, often because they're so far in. But he has the ability to turn on a mate. So, you know, a lot of Lewis Arias' stuff is, you know, I think fundamentally with him, he takes what the pitcher gives him and he can do anything he wants, but it is, it's not predetermined in his mind about, I want to go here. It's, I'm going to see what they give me and I know I can handle it and, and do anything I want with it. And what we're seeing is that in, off the plate, and in towards his hands, which should be uncomfortable. Lewis Arias is turning on them. Like, that's two home runs in three games. So, you know, all of a sudden, the MVP conversation may be back around here. I don't know. But it is so impressive with Lewis Arias, the fact that he can do it all. And he isn't, it isn't pre-programmed about what he's doing. He'll just take what the pitcher's given him, right? Yeah, it's funny because we saw uh, in the World Baseball Classic, he got, I think he got one or two home runs during that. And it yeah. kind of opened our eyes to the fact that there is a bit of a power stroke there. But mm. yeah, the, the ability to drop a hit mid-pitch, wherever you want to put it, you see where the pitch is coming, you know where you can handle that too, is such a skill. And, and that speaks to the reason why he's such a, a unicorn in the idea that he can hit mm. 400 when everyone else is hitting you know, 230 or whatever the major league average is at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's the best back-to-ball player in baseball in my eyes right now. Agreed. Agreed. I'm, you know, and for, for him, a slump is what, like a one for nine, you know, stretch, like that's a slump. And then he comes back and just starts lighting it up. And, you know, it's it, it's kind of funny. Our expect, And I think this is part of it, right? Our expectation levels of Lewis Arias have been set so high because it felt like he's been hitting 400 like all year. And we've had that conversation rolling on, you know, we're into August and people are still talking about Arias maybe, you know, being able to get to 400, which sounds unlikely. I would say at this phase, it sounded a touch more likely earlier in the year, but as a fan base, you know, in this narrative that's been created with Lewis Arias, like, I think that's kind of part of the problem here where we're expecting a multi-hit game, a four hit game, a five hit game, like, every day. And clearly that is to your point. I think I saw you talking about on Twitter as well. Like, you know, the Babip gods will, will kick in um, at times good and bad. And there'll be, you know, there'll be the odd strikeout, da, 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 this thing's outside his control. So overall, I think our expectations as fans for Arias have been a little bit too lofty, but nevertheless, he still remains yeah, to your point as well, the best bat to ball contact hitter in the game by some margin. And it's really impressive to see, that he does have that power stroke in there too. Josh Bell as well, though, made chipping in again. It was his birthday as well yesterday, so home run on his birthday. Boy, oh boy, Josh Bell. We spoke about it, I think, yesterday on the episode. We spoke about Berger as well, but Josh Bell is just on some kind of tear right now, mate, and I'm starting to get really nervous about this player option, to be honest with you. I mean, it'd be interesting. Isn't it? Sixteen and a half million is an awful lot of money. It really um, is. Um, and I think, I, think we'll, I think it'll be okay, but... I mean, if he does hit himself out of that contract, 
then the trade has been successful too because yeah. where does that put the Marlins? I mean, that that should have to put them in the playoff for sure. No, if, if he's going to hit himself in a, a couple of weeks out of 16.5 million after, let's be honest, the poor year he had to begin with. Yeah. Ever since the and Burgess is saying both of them are just they both seem to really be enjoying their baseball, like optically mm. from, as from thousands, literally thousands of miles away. <laughs> I can see it through the screen. These guys really are enjoying their baseball and it's it's translating onto the field as well, um, which is fantastic. You know, it is a case of they've been they've been taken from bad situations, a bad year into a playoff run, and they've just absolutely lit up the place and right now that is that is huge for the Marlins. Yeah, no doubt. I want to talk about as well Braxton Garrett though, mate, as well, because I think that was another storyline. It could have been a bigger story if things had gone maybe differently for the Marlins in this game. Um uh, but let's talk about Braxy after the first ad. Um for me, we've always known with Braxton that he's gonna burst through his innings, his you know, his career number and I do wonder if no, now we're into kind of mid-August, if there is an element of him starting to labor a touch. Um, I also wonder if the same could be true for Jesus Lazardo, by the way, too. So I do wonder how the Marlins can manage that situation. But we'll talk about that after the ad. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Ibotta. And Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. So you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns 120 bucks per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Or you could use the cash to buy that flight that you've been eyeing. Yes, sir. That game you've been dying to go to or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners five bucks just for trying Ibotta by using the code MLB when you register. You heard that correct, guys. All you get, all you have to do is use the code MLB and register and try Ibotta, and you get five bucks. Easy as that. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use the code MLB. That's Ibotta as in I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store, and use that code MLB. All right, you're here on Tuesday with UK coach Sean Barrett and myself, Peter Pratt. Uh, The Marlins uh, were bombs away in game one against the Astros, taking that game. Braxton Garrett was the starter and Sean, I think there was there's maybe some signs of fatigue kicking off here with Braxton Garrett. What have you seen though specifically? Yeah, it's interesting because you you look at the the box score and you could just say five scoreless innings against a red hot Houston Astros, a team that in the second half so far have averaged six runs a game. Mm. Marlins only give up the one run, and obviously Garrett shuts them out. But yeah, he really did sort of walk a tightrope. There was a double mm. play in there that was needed. And and it, the one strikeout in five innings is is always going to sort of raise eyebrows. Definitely. The odds for him were were very fortuitous for him. If you look at some of the advanced numbers, the, the zero ERA, but the 5.38 XFIP, 
just tells you kind of that how lucky he was on that start. And I say all that like I didn't watch the game, <laughs> but I did. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was just a case of he just the stuff wasn't super electric, and it was just you know four hits, but and two walks. It's not egregious over five innings. It just it no. felt like he just got lucky that there was just, there was that case of you're watching scoreless inning after scoreless inning, and you're not celebrating. You're thinking we dodged a bullet there. We dodged a bullet there. You're you're waiting for that big blow up inning, um, mm-hmm. and it, luckily it, it never came. And and he was able to go through five. But yeah, he's now passed uh, over ten innings past his his numbers last year. So there's yep. still some starts left there. But five, maybe sort of sprinkling a six inning start for the next couple of starts. I think is is going to be what we should be expecting. But five. Five is probably going to be what we're going to see more often than not, because it is a case of yeah, he's he's still a young guy and he's still unproven. Mm. We came into the season with him not even being in the starting rotation. Mm. It is a case of right now he's he's got to work through and almost labour through the rest of this season now because the Marlins are going to need him. And you mentioned Lazada as one. That's going to be somewhat the same situation. Mm. That is why, for me, the, the biggest issue I have right now, or at least from the deadline, is that they didn't get that extra arm. The, the, the Marlins really do need another arm in this rotation because these young guys are going to start to struggle. And against these high-performing offences, that's going to really show quite quickly. Luckily, I think we... We got that one win that you talked about yesterday from yes. the series from Garrett, um, and now we can play with house money. So, in a way, mines were lucky. Bit of voodoo, maybe. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of what's carried up so far, and, and long may it continue. You know, the first half Marlins are 100% back. I mean, I think we spoke about it yesterday as well, but like, you know, that was a lucky win in many ways. Like, it wasn't lucky when by the time they got to the eighth, they absolutely turned it on, but to be leading going into the bottom of the eighth, I think was probably fortunate, um, not only with Brax, but also Tanner Scott. You know, he had to deal with some chaos, um, you know, coming in. And, you know, I think his the plan was for him to, like, maybe face one hitter. Like, they played the kind of platoon there, but the plan was to face one guy, get out the inning, and then get into the eighth. Obviously, then... He gives up, you know, a hit, a couple of hits. He has to deal with a couple of extra, um, you know, a couple of extra guys in that inning. And you're thinking, okay, that's going to be Tanner Scott done. Where are they going to turn to next? No, Tanner Scott rolls out for the eighth as well. Boy, oh boy, this is Iron Man type stuff here for Tanner Scott. And I must say as well, I didn't think he had his full stuff. Like Lazardo the other day definitely didn't have his best stuff. I don't think Braxton Garrett had his best stuff in the start. And I don't think Tanner Scott had his best stuff either coming out in relief. So, you know, maybe there's the sign, you know, elements of fatigue kicking in. But overall, for Tanner Scott, mate, like for him to knuckle down and get through as well that eighth was pretty incredible stuff. I think. What about you? Yeah, it was huge to actually get there. I mean, it was it was a struggle in my, in my eyes anyway. I've, I've I've discussed this on Twitter with a few people who probably have better baseball minds than I. But for me. The biggest issue that was 35 pitches is what Tanner threw yesterday. And with a man on first and, and second, one out, he gets that ground ball double play. Uh, and to be fair, it, it was a hard hit ball, and but it was hit right at, right at somebody, but hit so hard that they struggled with it. The actual ball had a, an X 
batted average of 580. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just got as much chat has got more of a chance to fall as a hit than not. Yeah. Um, and then you're talking about a completely different ball game. At worst, at, at best, it's tie game, man on first and third, one out, Tanner Scott's thrown best part of 30 pitches. Like th- that could almost certainly be ball game at that point. That's three bombs away. Um, again, in that scenario, I'd say that the Marlins really did get lucky. They did. <laughs> it was sprinkled throughout the game. And, and it's funny, George uh, Astros UK, George, texted me this morning just saying, man, oh, man, that was frustrating to watch. So, again, it's interesting to see how others see it. And he was like, man, that was just so unlucky. You know, so many hard hit balls, so many opportunities, you know, where hits just didn't quite fall. It wasn't their day. And that's just the way it goes sometimes in baseball. And we just have to. And I said, listen, George, I completely get it. Really lucky. But I'm just celebrating the fact that Marlins had a, a, an inning where they went back to back to back home runs in Lone Depot as well, just to call that out. Um, and the other thing too is you had Fran Valdez. I remember uh, looking up at one point, I think heading into the eighth, and he'd thrown 70-odd pitches. I was thinking, this could be a complete game loss here for Fran Valdez. It's kind of a Sandy Alcantara special maybe. Like, you know, it wouldn't have shocked me if if the Astros did get the lead that it could have been a complete game from Fran Valdez. He was in complete control, it felt like. He was, you know, like I said, it was 70-odd, maybe 71, 72, heading into the eighth. And I was like, man, this is, you know, so impressive. But in the end, the Marlins, you know, they get the damage done in that eighth inning, which was a lot of fun. Um, let's do the next ad. Then I feel like we have to talk about, or it was almost emergency podcast territory, news dropping that the Marlins have signed another free agent, thinking it's the 15th of August. How have they signed a free agent? But they have signed a free agent. It is some catching depth, and it is an old, old friend in Georgie Alfaro. So we're going to talk about that as well, and we're going to talk about John Birdie impacting the game yesterday and impacting this team just more generally here for the Marlins over the past at least month where he has been absolutely sensational. But let's pump the graphics up. It is FanDuel season. There we go. We've got the FanDuel graphics up. And uh, as I've already mentioned, this this episode is brought to you by FanDuel, and football season is about to kick off, guys. And FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Yes, you heard that correctly. You bet on a Super Bowl winner, and you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. I wouldn't recommend going hard on the Rams, just to call that out. But anyway... Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on. Start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That is fanduel.com slash locked on. That is a stunning offer, by the way, from Fanduel. I really like that one. Really like it. And I'm intrigued, you know, that guys tune in right now. I'm intrigued to see how many are going to be plowing in on the Dolphins. I mean, just imagine. Just imagine the Marlins take it home and then the Dolphins just double down. Boy, oh boy, that would be wild. Nevertheless, let's keep it rolling here. Um, Sean Barrett is here, the UK GOAT, and myself, Peter Pratt. Um, Final segment here, we want to talk about the return. Georgie Alfaro uh, signed to uh, a minor league contract. He has been knocking around a lot recently, Georgie Alfaro. Um, pops up every now and again, seems to always, you know, the profile, we know the profile. Um, 
fun character, was a big part of the Marlins club for many years because they had really no other options until Jacob Stallings came in. And uh, he's back. And he's been, uh, I, I believe, assigned to the Jumbo Shrimp. So he's hidden up in Jacksonville and AAA. Um, immediate reaction here, Sean, the Georgie Alfaro back with the Marlins when, like, it feels like there was a few catchers that already were kind of, like, rising up and, you know, could have an opportunity. And so I think it's a really interesting signing what did you make of it i think it's a case of it's a 30 year old catcher with major league experience who clearly wasn't getting any offers wasn't getting picked up anywhere mm. like anytime you can get a 30 year old catcher with experience like they deserve to be inside of an organization uh and to be fair to him he's hit really well in colorado and boston when on minor league assignment mm. less so at the major league level so for me, it is a case of like if, if the Marlins get to a situation where they have to call Alfaro up because there's an issue with Stallings or Fortes, then maybe that's a better option than bringing up a young guy who's not quite ready for the show in a playoff spot. I mean, it, it is a case of, for me, it's depth for depth's sake. Yeah, um, yeah, great I show. I don't expect to see him at the major league level unless something happens to one of the two catchers. But for me, it is a case of, I'll have to harken back to what I said to him when he was last with the Marlins. It is a case of, he's, a, he's that toolsy guy, isn't it? He's got mm-hmm. hot for days. He's got speed, not for just for a catcher. He's actually a speedy guy in general. He's got all the tools. He just can't put them together. It's me with a bit of Ikea. Mate, it's, you know, it's Monte Harrison with some catching gear, in my opinion. Like, it's so many tools. Could be good, should be good. Never can quite piece it together. I mean, you've definitely seen... More highlights from Georgie Alfaro than Monte Harrison, I have to say. So I'm probably doing him a disservice. I think you make a perfect point there, Sean, that this is an insurance policy of a known entity should anything happen at the back end of the year and going into a postseason, let's say. And feel smart, actually. It kind of feels smart like just to have that insurance policy kind of sat there the Marlins and Skip, he's spoken really glowingly, I'd say, about Fortes and Stallings for some time. And, you know, it, it's been, it was clear, like there was, like the Marlins were, I think, thinking about the catching market earlier in the trade kind of deadline, trade season, et cetera. And I think they just made a call to move away from that. It's really hard to upgrade catchers anyway during this season, seemingly. But, you know, I think there were a few guys that were maybe attainable, but, I think they went and used their prospect capital elsewhere, which probably was a sensible play. But Skip's always been really positive about those guys. I just think, to your point, Georgie Alfaro, really good insurance policy there that, if needed, could come up, would have some familiarity with at least Sandy, um, you know, maybe one or two others. I don't know. So, yeah, we'll see. Big news, I guess. You called this one out that, you know, we want to talk about John Birdie in advance of the show. Rightly so. Obviously, John Birdie yesterday impacting the game. Uh, stolen base, uh, stolen third base, uh, which was impressive. Um, and, you know, John Birdie, not just stealing bases, but impacting the game with a stick as well, mate. So what have you seen with Birdie? And equally, how does this impact his role at this point, kind of for the last six weeks of this year? So, yeah, I mean, obviously yesterday in the game, he hit the double to get the, the first one on the board and then scored after stealing third and then on a wild pitch that almost looked like it had been a foul ball. 
Um, yeah, did. So it was some real heads up um, running from him. Mm. Uh, so it wasn't just the home runs at the end of the game. That's kind of where the, but that is where the Marlins got their lead. So um, absolutely influencing it. And and for me, Bertie, he's always been that sort of Swiss Army guy, the guy that I say you put in the false nine spot when he starts, but otherwise you want him on the bench. Mm. But for the last month, so the the 16th of July to now, he's absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. He's got a 124 WRC plus. He's hitting 342. He's got a he has yeah 900 over 900 OPS. It's it's crazy, and it's not a small sample size because it is that almost a month. But it is a small sample size because mm-hmm. he's playing enough in that time to to really. He's only got 76 plate appearances over that month, and my question is why? Mm-hmm. It's not like Wendell's really offering much in the way with the stick. The defense, I think they're, they're both sort of interchangeable across multiple Agreed. positions. Um, my question is, in a playoff run, why isn't Bertie getting a bit more run of the game when he's clearly absolutely hitting? It's a really good point, and I think a lot of people have been thinking that for some time, really, with Bertie. Like, it's clear that he's he's been pacing it. We also, I would say, a lot of people have this view now which I think was probably put forward originally by Craig Mish. And so that's often how things work. If Craig puts something forward, there's logic behind it and we can understand it. And his view was that Bertie's a much better player when he's playing less frequently. The less you play him, the better he is. The more you play him, the worse he becomes. And I think we've all kind of latched onto that and that's become like the truth. It's become the truth of the situation. I'm completely with you, by the way, on the defense. It is interchangeable with Wendell and Birdie. Although that Birdie, <laughs> that Birdie throw to short, well, the, sorry, the second base, but he was playing short. Uh, when was that? It was last week. When Arias went to second base, it was like the simplest of throws, looking to turn a double play. And it was like almost he had the yips. They just completely missed, you know, misplayed that one. And, you know, that wasn't his finest moment. That game, I don't think, was generally the Marlins' finest game at all. But, yeah, to your point, Birdie, you know, he just fits this profile so well for the Marlins, just manufacturing things. Like you said yesterday, he gets the double, and he laced that double, by the way. He absolutely blasted it. Then he's on second, steals third, and then you get, you know, the wild pitch heads-up play. So he's that kind of guy. You need those kind of guys, and it adds so much versatility and balance to this offense, and we saw it. Without John Birdie yesterday, the Marlins aren't winning that game. Without John Birdie, like, and that, those couple of plays, the double, the stolen base, and the heads-up play, I don't think the Marlins win it. Next thing is, they maybe trail by a run or two. Maybe the Marlins give up on it. Don't use, you know, Tanner Scott 35 pitches. Next thing is, it gets out of hand, and you go, hey, hey white flag it. So, I'm, you know, I honestly think we'll all look at the home runs, the back-to-back-to-back, but I think John Birdie won that game in that inning with his play. Great point, Sean. One final one. Wanted to call out Loud Marlins fan. He dropped me a voice note. That's how close we are. I'm getting voice notes from Loud Marlins fan. And he he called out to me. He said, Pete, I want you to know this stat about Johnny Cueto heading into this evening's game. So Johnny Cueto going in game two. Um, I'm not sure where we're going to go with this stat, but I've, I wanted to just raise it. The, he said... And I haven't verified that this is true either. So this could be horribly, this could be misinformation. But anyway, he said Johnny Cueto will be making back-to-back starts 
on the 15th of August versus the Houston Astros. He, he started exactly on the same day last year against the Astros. And I think he said he went eight innings against the Astros a year ago exactly. So I don't know if he's expecting eight innings of, uh, of high-quality Johnny Cueto. I don't know. But he did say how frequently does that happen where you go year on year and you face the same opponent and pitch against them. So I have to tip my cap to Loud Marlins fan on that one. That If that is correct, which is unverified, the, that is one hell of a stat. And I tell you, if Johnny Cueto goes eight innings, um, then we will all say there was even more Marlins voodoo around that one. But just more generally, Sean, Johnny Cueto against pff, one of the hottest offenses in baseball right now. This is probably his sternest test, I would say, since returning back into this rotation. It's been better than expected. But equally, there's been a few soft landing spots along the way for Cueto. Um, this one, I think, is his biggest test today, right? Absolutely. First of all, I can confirm he did uh, pitch against the Astros last year on this day. I did and he pitched seemingly well, but also there's a big difference between the ERA and the XFIP. So maybe he got uh -oh. as equally lucky as Brax did this year. Um, Let's keep it rolling. If Cueto in any way goes eight innings today, I will be hugely shocked. <laughs> I, will, I will happily take five runs, uh, five runs, five innings and a couple of runs um, and, and let's see how we go. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a stern test. You're right that he has had, I'm looking at the game log right now, apart from the Phillies, he's had a real soft landing everywhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and the Phillies game was probably one of his worst. Um, so it will be interesting. I'm just hoping, again, I'm watching the game live late, so I'm hoping that the Miners can at least keep it close um, throughout the game. Otherwise, it might be an early finish for me um, and Quato too. It could be... There's a decent chance we see Brian Hoeing, I would say, this evening. Uh, a really decent shot that it's necessary. I hope not. I hope not. And to your point earlier, they've won the first game in the series. In many ways, the numbers say it was a lucky win. The eyeballs will tell us it was kind of a lucky win too, but it doesn't matter. Win's a win. And who knows how it goes tonight. The reality is, irrespective of the pitching matchups, this Marlins offense right now is just finding ways to get some dubs, which has been so impressive. And so I, I don't, I won't rule anything out right now. And I, I won't look at any game and go, well, that's an automatic dub or an automatic L. Um, and I think Skip talked about this recently too, post game, just saying, listen, like every game is hard to win. It doesn't matter who you're playing. Every single game is tough to win. And you know, the Marlins are looking at the schedule right now. It feels like it's tough. And it is tough in many ways. The Astros <laughs> defend the champs, and they're playing really well at this point. It's tough. They're about to go on the road and play the Dodgers and Padres. On the face of it, that looks tough as well, because the Dodgers are, are scorching hot, as scorching hot, I think, as the Astros, uh, offensively particularly. Padres, who knows? But, you know, I don't think you can just simply look at these games, these pitching matchups, and go, that's a win or loss. So much can happen in these games. So much needs to happen to win these games. And so much luck comes into it too, which is what we saw last night. But overall, to your point though, Sean, if Cueto can give us five innings of like a couple of runs worth, then that's the baseline. That's the barometer for Cueto at this point. That's what we need out of him. Five innings, keep us in the game, 
if it's a couple of innings worth of work and he's blowing up and Hoeing's in there and he's then got to go three and so is Soriano, the next thing is Penn's decimated. You're into Lazardo tomorrow and all of a sudden Lazardo's got no cover. And let's be honest, Lazardo has definitely been having similar kind of struggles to Braxton. And so the pressure then kind of leads into him. Let's call it a day there, though. That's been a lot of fun. 32 minutes of, you know, of bombs, of bombs, of Brax, of old friends, Tanner Scott. Boy, oh boy, there's a lot going on in Marlins world right now. But I appreciate everyone joining myself, Peter Pratt, and the UK GOAT, Sean Barrett, on Tuesday's episode of Locked on Marlins. And thanks for making Locked on Marlins your first listen of the day. First pitch is just about one hour away So time for Sean to get a few adult beverages in him. Time for me to go to bed. And I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. (laughs) See you then, guys.